Hey, Murray, how's it going? Let's see. You've got um, your... You're muted presently. Do you know how to unmute yourself? Because it says you've got to unmute yourself. That's it. Sure I am. Sorry. Excellent. Okay, no worries. Whereabouts in the world are you? Bellingham, Washington. It's uh, far north, Washington State, almost into Canada. Well, we appreciate you being with us, especially due to the nature of your story. I'm just going to read, it's quite harrowing what I'm going to read here, uh, the intro that Ash has sent over. But Murray does prove that recovery is possible from deep trauma. So Murray's films and memoir recount her healing journey from ritualistic child abuse, sex trafficking and incest. Murray's story is a harrowing one, but her journey to the modern day is an inspiring one for anyone who has suffered from childhood trauma. Before we begin, Mary, I've just got a, because we've got a restriction from the police in the UK on these interviews, I have to ask you, do you waive your anonymity? Yes, I certainly do. All right, I appreciate that. All right, so let, let's go back then and kind of build up to what's happened here. Were, were you born firstly? I was born in Seattle, Washington, not far from where I live now, and um my family it was a middle class uh, middle class becoming an upper middle class family and how did your parents meet what was your home life like my parents met in college so i had a college educated uh mother who was a homemaker which um it was during a time when not as many women went to college i um my father was an engineer at boeing and um, on the outside, we looked very normal. Uh, in fact, I think that was by plan for us to look very normal on the outside. And, you know, when did the first, um, when did it start to get into this dark side of things in your life? I, my earliest memory is of being abused. My, oh my earliest memory is of being, um, well, horrendously abused. I was abused physically, sexually, um, in every way. And um, so I didn't remember my abuse until I was 37 years old. So there was a, you know, that I was, there were things I was confused about. I do remember being afraid of my father, but I didn't know why. And um, and so when I was 37, I remembered um, the abuse. And at that time, I had four relatives with similar memories. Since then, another cousin has remembered. So I had people I could call and say, um, this happened. I remember this happening. It's hard to believe it could really happen. And they could verify it, particularly the, the murders of um, black individuals. Um, Murray, did you have any happy childhood memories? Did you have siblings that you played with, stuff like that? I, hmm, I do have siblings. I don't talk about them in my film, but I do... Um, tell about them in my um, book. 
Um, they don't want contact with me. Um, they call me crazy and they say that these things didn't happen. Um, I did have one older sister who I, who I've dedicated my first film to, and she died when she was 11 and I was nine, but I do have very positive memories of her. I can remember kind of, we would, we would live in the country and we'd kind of go out and it was kind of like we were hiding out, you know, and, and those were good times. I remember um, us kind of pretending to run away, even though we didn't, and we would pick wildflowers. Um, and another positive memory is school. I, I was never abused at school. I was um, treated good by my teachers. I, I worked really hard um, to, learn a lot and to, I, I tried very hard never to misbehave. I was, you know, teachers liked me. Um, I remember asking for extra homework one time, you know, and so um, it, it, I think my education um, was, was always good. And my parents actually encouraged education. They were both very intelligent and they both have, uh, they both had better vocabularies than I will ever have. So um, they they were well-read people. So I did not remember my abuse except for while it was going on. So even if I had been abused the night before, um, even if there were signs of it, I I just didn't, I was just confused about why that would be. Well, it's understandable because if you're so young, and these horrific things are happening to you and you don't have the vocabulary or the mental processes capable of understanding what's actually happening. It seems that these things from the many survivors we've interviewed, they get buried somewhere deep inside the person. And it's only when that person gets a greater understanding as they mature, they comprehend the illegal and evil nature of what has happened so yes. how 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 old were you when you looked back how old were you can you ascertain when these things started to happen i it was my earliest memory so age two or three it was i my earliest memory is of being abused by my father um in painful ways and you were only two to three years old. Yeah, I was. I was young. Yes. Oh my goodness, that's horrific. I mean, we've just—I've got a baby here, and, and he's—he's he's just four months old, and I can't oh, imagine, yeah. you know, when someone two or three year old, how how you know, the the human body's so small and everything else, right. how it, it just boggles my mind. It makes makes my head want to explode just thinking about it. And how long did that last for, Murray? It was my entire childhood. It included my teenage years, my entire childhood. I was abused. Was it always the same person? Oh, no. I, I Once I wrote down my perpetrators that I, that I could remember, even if I didn't know their names, and I stopped when I got over 100. What? Yeah, yeah. There were uh, well over 100 people, adults, who sexually abused me. And none were ever apprehended. I mean, I I stayed like I I knew you know I knew that my grandparents weren't ever arrested. My parents, my 
um, uncle. I mean, I, I, and then there were people who I knew of through church who I was able to know that, no, they weren't ever arrested. I've, I've done searches on some of the people who abused me and they had no criminal background. Um, they were just never, never arrested for anything. My father had top security clearance. He was aerospace engineer. And um, so he had the, the highest level of security clearance in the United States. Um, so yeah, they, they were not apprehended. I was, um, I was abused by my parents, but I also, they were also my traffickers. So um, they arranged for me to be abused by other people. Um, I, I remember seeing my mom take money from men, literally seeing her take money from men. Murray, how old are you when the abuse spread from just your father to other people? Oh, um, I, immediately I started thinking four. Um, it may have been earlier than that. Um, it may have been earlier than that. I recently had a memory when that I was three. Yeah, uh, but the four-year-old memory was my... Um, my maternal grandfather, my mother's father, took me to a group of men. And I, I don't know that it was veterans of foreign wars, um, but it, it was in a building, uh, you know, it was in a veterans of foreign wars building. Of course, during those years, most men were veterans of foreign wars um, that were my grandfather's age. But anyway, I, I don't know that it had anything to do with that organization. But yeah, I was taken and passed from man to man. Um, and um, I remember that when I was, I was in a play and um, I um, was this, you know, I, I was supposed to be the uh, bimbo. And so I wore this um, fancy um, sequin dress and everything that was blue and I picked it you know, picked up for myself. And then I had this memory and I just could never wear that again. And I, I picked out another dress that worked for the part, but that was, didn't, was, yeah, it, 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 it was very different than the first dress. Um, and um, yeah, that's a, a really bad memory. Um, uh, uh Another thing I remembered that gets into everyone wants to to know why did they do this to you? But one thing I don't know why my parents did it. I don't know that that's something I could even fathom, but I do know that my mother kept having sex with her father. My mother and her father had sex when my father was at work. I don't know where my maternal grandmother was. Uh, she may have been napping in another room, but they brought me in and I was abused by, uh, I was, my maternal grandfather said he would never do anything that hurt physically. And he did. And that was at age, he died when I was um, right around the time I turned six years old. So it was at four or five that I, I actually think it happened more than once, but my mother's reaction, rather than being protective of me, she was jealous of me because she, this is like, I'm daddy's little girl. 
you know, and, and she beat me afterwards. I mean, she just was so furious with me that her father wanted to be with me in, in that way. Um, but yeah, this happened enough times that I remember they would, my mom would give me chocolate chip cookie dough and set me down at the little, we had this, we lived in a really small house until I was six. And, and so in this little, little table and I'd get to eat chocolate chip cookie dough while they were in the, um, in the bedroom. And so I know it, at, what surprised me was it was when they brought me in, it didn't surprise me me what they were doing but it surprised me that they brought me in so murray were there any adults in your family that were not engaging enabling or complicit in this your grandmother you mentioned the i'm not sure that i don't i i'm not sure if my maternal grandmother knew well i think she had she knew i know she knew but i don't know that she could have done anything to help me and so, uh, but who I do have for sure is Mrs. Brown. So when, before I started kindergarten, which I was five when I started kindergarten. So when I was like four years old, I think three years old and four years old, I would walk down to Mrs. Brown's house. We lived in the country and it was a third of a mile away. It seemed further, but I've gone back and I've tracked the time that the, the um, distance and so Mrs. Brown uh, had immigrated from England and um, she brought her wood stove with her. Okay. And so she made um, she made what she called mush, but it was oatmeal with salt in it. And she cooked it overnight on her wood burning stove. And so when I would get there in the morning, she'd be like, oh, she'd be excited okay. to see me. And I, I would stay at her house. Um, I, you know, even after breakfast, uh, she'd have homemade bread and um, she had uh, chickens. She had maybe some other, I think maybe just chickens, but she let me go feed the chickens with her. And um, there was a creek that ran by our house. It was just real pretty. And I felt safe when I was at Mrs. Brown's house. She she really helped me a lot. And then when I went to school, I, I needed speech therapy until uh, in first, second, and third grade, I was in speech therapy, and my speech therapist, um, you know, I, I think I said something to her about one of my siblings crying all the time, and she talked to my mother about it. And my mother, that was not helpful. I mean, you know, but she did what she could, and um, and so. Uh, my parents hit it so well in so many ways, but yeah, um, that I don't remember the speech teacher's name. I do have a picture of her and I, and I have it in the film. Uh, I have a film, Mothers and Molestation, a film about child abuse. And if you want to see the picture of my um, speech teacher, it's in there. So were any other adults outside of the family, including teachers, uh, medical professionals, anybody did uh, that perhaps took you to one side and said look it's something going on here no but i really don't blame my teachers because i my parents taught me how to be a good actor i mean i just i knew that i was supposed to act better than other kids i couldn't even act like the norm and so 
you know, they hit it so well. They just hit it so well. And um, and in their own lives. And I certainly wasn't didn't appear to be a neglected child, even though, you know, thinking of a four-year-old walking to a neighbor's house to eat breakfast, I was neglected. But I when I went to school, I was the best dressed kid there. My my mom was an excellent seamstress and she um she would be able to make her own patterns and a new new style came out she'd make me a dress um they went to links for it to be hidden um now i and then when they took me to the doctor for uh, bladder infections, which I had, and I've talked to a medical doctor as an adult. I've talked to a medical doctor about, I it seems that I had symptoms of, of venereal disease um, before, I, before I started school. And um, so for those things, they take me to Dr. D and um, he, he was a friend of theirs and he was in on it. And so I was sexually abused in his by him in his office with my father present. So I mean, he was very much involved in it, um, and um, and he was there um, with a. He was physically present during the KKK murders, so he was very much in on it. Um, it may have been his patient who was, I don't know. Um, how, uh, but anyway, um, no, I didn't, I, I did continue to always have good experiences at school. Um, now at church, I was sexually abused by other church leaders, but as an adult, I went back to my childhood church and I saw a man I had known there. He was like, he was retired and he was just doing handyman stuff at the building, working on the building. And I told him, you know, I told him that my parents had raped me. I told him that um, another church leader had. And he said to me, he said, you know, that same church leader approached my daughter. And um, and uh, it was when her his daughter was an adult. So there wasn't it wasn't a criminal act. But, you know, she was this young woman who was married there was no reason to approach her like that. And that same church leader, I remember my mom being embarrassed because he um, made a pass at her when I could see it. So, um, but anyway, this man from my church, um, uh, he, uh, I came back to the church when church was going on and I confronted a church leader who was still a church leader then who had raped me. And um, this man, um, Herschel Klepper, this is the man, the nice man, he literally stood by me while I was confronting. He stood, he, he literally stood there as I was doing the confronting. And then he took, um, uh, he took me out to lunch. He took his daughters out to lunch also. And he uh, insisted on taking me out to lunch and paying for my lunch. So, you know, he was there during my childhood, but I don't think he knew about it. So earlier on then, you said that your siblings 
are saying that this didn't happen. Yeah. Does that mean that it didn't happen to them? Does it mean that it perhaps did happen to them, but they're in denial? And how, if it happened to you, were they not aware of it? Okay, yes. I try to be pretty careful what I say about my siblings, but I I wrote about them in my uh, memoir, and I like to just read that answer so that... Yeah. Okay. Uh, sorry, I'm taking a little while. You're fine. Take your time. It's okay. My siblings. I have four living siblings, a sister and three brothers. I love them, but they refuse to have any contact with me. They have family reunions to which I am not invited. My siblings say that we had good parents. The explanation my brothers and sister give for my disclosures is that I am crazy. Some people have asked if my siblings were just unaware of the abuse. They definitely were aware. I saw our parents abuse my siblings and they witnessed my abuse. So why they say it didn't happen would be conjecture, but that's what I know um, is that I witnessed them being abused. They witnessed me being abused. Do you think that they've buried it and they're for of the public, you know, it, that being made public? Because it, it takes a very brave person such as yourself to speak about this, but perhaps other people would rather that the world didn't know and they're horrified to think that, well, if this gets out, you know, our whole family just look like monsters and that kind of like, burns down everything I stand for? Well, yeah, I I uh, hadn't really thought about that as a motivation. Um, they, you know, I mean... Because sometimes family... Sometimes... Privately, but yeah, but I... No, no, I mean, they go out of my way. They, I don't... Well... Well, I don't know, because we were taught to be good actors, so maybe they do know and they uh, won't do it. Yeah, that's possible. It, yeah, well, we've, that's we, we've come across um, multiple situations whereby families have protected these people because they don't want the shame associated with it being cast on the whole family. Yeah, that, and that's my cousins um, who actually were really helpful to me when I remembered they... Um, one of them broke contact with me because I was going to do the film. She said, you can, she said, you can do it. You can do it. You just can't show it to the public. I'm like, making a film is a huge endeavor. It's an expensive, it's time consuming. I had to learn how to edit because I couldn't find a good editor. And so to think that I was just going to make a film so that I could see it, it just wasn't going to happen. And that's, uh, she discouraged me. And yeah, that's when we no longer, and we no longer have contact. So that's kind of been the, you know, I could see that as the case with my cousins. I, I don't know, uh, with my siblings. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. So as you got older and started to comprehend what was going on, what around what age would that be? 37, when I remember. Okay, but you said this one, you know, this pro progressed into, you went, it went from two to three years old, three, four, into your teens. 
Yeah, but let me make this really clear. I never remembered it except for while it was happening. So when I was two, I didn't remember it unless it was happening. When I was 17, I didn't remember it unless it was happening. And so um, I just didn't know. I mean, I, 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 there was a part of me that knew because um, when I was in high school, boys wouldn't ask me out. And I, I have pictures of myself in high school. I had, I had, you know, really long hair, which was in style. And, um, but there was a part, there was something about me that was just kind of like, you're like, like I'm taken and, you know, like, like my, my father owns me kind of thing. But, um, but I didn't, I didn't remember it. Um, I certainly didn't attribute it to my parents. So no, I, I didn't know. I mean, I thought when I married my ex-husband, I got married when I was 25. I thought I was a virgin. I, I noticed there weren't blood. There was no blood. I noticed that, but I still, I, you know, my cousin and I have talked about that since. Why didn't we think there was some reason for that? But we didn't. We were just like, well, it just doesn't always, you know, it's not always like that. All right. So you're three or four and these things are happening. And obviously your brain can't process what's going on. But, you know, once you become a teenager and you've been educated, perhaps there's been sex education in school and things like that you would grasp that something was wrong or something untoward was happening. Would you say then, if this was still happening when you was a teenager, that you went into perhaps a disassociative state? Yes. Yes. I think I did as a very young child. I, I think I, that's why, I mean, some survivors can remember, you know, knew it was happening until a certain age or they, they can remember when it was that they quit uh, like one of my friends told someone from outside of the family and she was just her father, who's a medical doctor, she, you know, she thought poisoned her, but obviously she's not poisoned because she's still alive. But, um, and then she remember, didn't remember from them on. I never, rem I don't think I remembered except for while it was going on. So that would be dis dissociation from a really young age. And, um, and, I also the other piece of it that well, and you may be getting into this, but dissociation, you do that to protect yourself, your mind does that to protect your mind. And one of the essays in my book is um, psychological benefits of delayed recall. And I would say that the survivors who had the well, survivors who were able to dissociate as children, and not remember until they're adults tend to have much more functional adult lives. And certainly that's the case with me. I have a master's degree in social work. I've, I've, um, you know, done, um, I've worked, I've, I've done work by court order. Um, judges trust, you know, trusted me to do evaluations and um, I always worked with children. Um, but um yeah, I've just, you know, I've had, uh, yeah, I, some people see it, the dysfunction of dissociating, but it's really functional. And then you remember when you feel safe enough to remember, which I really, I was, uh, I was angry at God that I didn't remember sooner. 
Um, I, I had young children when I remembered. Um, so, um, but I, I can see how I just couldn't have done it. I couldn't have remembered. I just, even, even at 37, when I remembered it made me, when I realized my father had done things like that, it made me want, I wasn't suicidal. I'm, I haven't been except for when I was seven years old, but it made me not want to be alive because it was like I'd kill anyone who said something like that about my father. But yeah. What triggered that at 37 years old for you to start I, remembering? Yeah, I talked to, um, I think part of it was I was getting ready to in a lot of different ways. Like I went, I had gone to Al-Anon, even though my ex-husband was an alcoholic, but I'd done a lot of self-improvement things. Um, and I was getting more, aware of my feelings and all but um what the the what happened was my aunt my father's sister got ready to tell my father so she told my father and my mother well my aunt and my mother were roommates in college i mean they were really close to each other so what happened when when i asked my because my parents were coming down to where I lived at the time, which was uh, close to where my aunt lived. And no, I hadn't seen my aunt for years. She, she had um, been estranged from the family. I didn't know why. So um, I said, well, what, what did she want to talk to you about? And um, my, um, when I finally, um, my mother tried to get us to not talk about it, I think. But my father, when I finally talked to him alone, he said, well, she has these crazy ideas. She thinks that our um, that our grandmother sexually abused her. And, um, and so I decided I would talk to my aunt. So after my parents left, I talked to my aunt. But the odd thing, my parents said, I said, well, how are you going to handle this? Oh, well, we just won't ever see her again. I mean, they have been close. So um, so I talked to my aunt and she didn't tell me I had been abused, but she said I had witnessed abuse and I just knew it was true. And she didn't tell me much and neither did my cousins um, because it was important, you know, to me and to them not to make it seem like they, my memories came from them. And so I, when I remember something, I would contact them. How did the KKK enter the, into this? I think that uh, my parents were members of the KKK and um, that I think that was a place where they sold um, child pornography or um, sexual material of children. Um, and, uh, and then, um, yeah, that was one of the things my cousins confirmed. And I can... I like when I tell about it to just read it because it was a really horrendous situation. Yeah, please read it. I was eight years old. I had on a pretty dress, white lacy socks and the shiny shoes that were only for wearing to church. My father drove a Ford station wagon. My mother sat in the front seat. We stopped and picked up a medical doctor we called Dr. D. 
I don't know how far we drove. Somewhere out in the country, we stopped at a shack. A black man invited us in. He may have been one of Dr. D's patients or maybe someone my parents knew from their church connections. Once inside, my father and Dr. D pulled their guns out. I saw two women. They were also black. My father tied the women to chairs in the kitchen. Boards already painted white were taken out of the station wagon and a cross was erected inside the shack. The man's arms and legs were strapped to it. There was a little girl who was exactly the same size as me. She was so cute. She had tiny braids all over her head. Her dress was cleaned and ironed. I remember thinking that someone must really care about her. One gun was pointed at the little girl's head and the other at my head. The man was told that if he would pretend to die willingly like Jesus Christ did, the little girl's life would be spared. My mother held our eight millimeter camera. I know that I knew that there were people who lived, who liked, I knew there were people who liked to see movies of murders. I had already been made to lay motionless after beatings and pretend to die on camera. Apparently people who like to see black men killed also like to see little white girls with their clothes off. I had to do things to the man while he was on the cross. The man died. I don't know whether he died from hanging on the cross or from what they made him eat. I was not left to wonder how the little girl died. As soon as the man took his last breath, my father shot the little girl in her head. The women screamed. I screamed. Dr. D and my father moved quickly. They set the shack on fire. My mother tried to grab my hand, but I didn't want to leave with the bad people. I wanted to stay in the shack and burn to death with the good people. One of the women looked straight at me. She said, little girl, go so you can grow up and tell what happened. Wow. Well, with there being no statute of limitation on murders, is this something that the police have ever looked at? I have called the police in Seattle. I've called the police in, um, see, I don't know what state it's in. And I also don't know what country. It may have been in Canada. Um, And I... They can't do anything if you don't even know where it happened. I mean, if you don't even know the jurisdiction. And then I also have no other details. I thought about hiring a private investigator, but um, my husband was looking into it. And he's someone that once you start something, you finish it, no matter how much it costs. And so he was looking into a private investigator. But he said, you know, Mary, this may cost $50,000. And that's when I thought, I want to make a film more than I want to hire a private investigator who's, you know, unlikely to find something from the, that happened in 1963. Um, And so um, that's when I made my film, uh, my first film, Am I Crazy? My Journey to Determine if My Memories Are True. I I had a bad experience with, actually with a university that I was applying to uh, for, for education, more edu- um, master's degree in fine arts and writing. And um, it seemed like they didn't believe me. And that's why they wouldn't let me in. Cause I, I wrote about what I just 
just read. Um, and they wanted proof of it, which there's not a need for that. I spoke from a child's point of view and I, the child, you know, I didn't know, but um, they wanted like newspaper clippings. Well, no one was ever arrested. So anyway, I woke up one morning going, am I crazy? That's what I'll title my film. Okay. Am I crazy? My journey to determine if my memories are true because um, that is, uh, you know, that's a question and that's what you do in a document or you ask a question. So I took some time and I, I read everything I could from the false memory syndrome foundation. So, because they say, if you read a book, then you're going to think you were abused as a child. Well, I thought if I read all their books, maybe the opposite will happen. So yeah. <laughs> that, that's so, so when you researched the false memory syndrome foundation, what did you find the organization was made up of? Lots of pedophiles or lots, lots of people accused by their adult children of pedophilia. I mean, that's, that's mostly who was in the group. Um, there was, there is Dr. Elizabeth Loftus who um, she testified um, for the defense for uh, Gazelle Maxwell, for, um, Bill Cosby for um, Harvey Weinstein, and um, she she they wanted some research to show that a memory could be false. Well, everyone knows a memory could be false. This is just you know everyone knows sometimes you remember something differently than another person. But what they find about trauma is that tra traumatic memory is less likely to be false, and that a recovered memory is less likely to be false, or at least some people say it's less likely to be false. Others say it's as credible as any memory. So, um, so yeah, for, while some of the details of my memories may not be true to say blanketly that they're false is absurd. Yeah. Cause neuroscience has shown when you're going through something traumatic, your brain releases certain chemicals that makes you remember it yeah. in the hope you can avoid it in the future as part yeah. of survival. Very good. You know, some background in that. Yeah. 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 And the research quote research that the false memory syndrome foundation use is this study. Well, this really, really badly done study that, that just, it was shoddy in so many ways, but Dr. Elizabeth Loftus did it. And then it was a really small, it was just like, uh, there were just like 30 subjects. Well, for the first one that failed, there was just one subject, but then the, the second one with 30 subjects, um, it's questionable whether it really didn't show anything. Um, but it's also, I mean, 30 subjects, you know? And so she says that, Child sexual abuse doesn't happen that often, but there's other studies that show it's one out of four women, one out of six men. Yeah, it's definitely prevalent. So when you see people like Maxwell Epstein, uh, you know, being arrested, does that give you a sense of satisfaction that things are being done in this era? No. Uh, no, what does, though, is that... Um, I found that people like me are survivors are being treated better than they were before. And that people do know when I 
when I first remembered, I would tell people I'm a satanic ritual abuse survivor. And certainly I've had experiences that would be in line with um, what is known as satanic ritual abuse. I don't know that my parents believed in Satan. I don't know why they did what they did, but they did things like I had to be in a body with someone who was deceased uh, with a corpse. So those are things that are commonly done in satanic ritual abuse. Well, when I tell people that, they wouldn't believe me. But now that I can tell people I'm a child sex trafficking survivor, well, you, everyone knows there are child that, that there is such a thing as child sex trafficking. No one says, oh, I don't believe there is such a thing as child sex trafficking. And as it turns out, people who fellow survivors of satanic ritual abuse, um, most of us are child sex trafficking survivors. Some don't remember, some didn't see money exchange hands, but we were all raped by multiple people. And, um, and it's child sex trafficking. It doesn't, money doesn't have to exchange hands, just anything of value. And so it could be that you get to you get to stay the, um, you know, the minister of a church or whatever. It could be any position of power. And that was the case with some ministers that I was abused by. So, Murray, how do you stay sane and have a good life now? Oh, I, I have worked really hard at it. So I consider recovery a part-time job if someone's just starting out to... Um, to try and get well from this, just know that whatever work you're doing now, that the um, checks really is in the mail. You really, it's gonna pay off. It may be a, quite a while, you can see my hair is gray, but that it will pay off. And as you just get, um, I, I worked really hard at finding friends I could trust. Uh, I did leave my first marriage and I would not have gotten well had I stayed in it. Um, I um, am around people who empower me and, and believe me and, and care about me. And I got married in 2010 to mm -hmm. my husband and he's, he's wonderful. So, um, and he, he um, supported me as I was doing the films and he, um, we were just talking today about how hard it was for him, but he, he helped edit my book mm -hmm. and it was hard because I, I wasn't as organized as I should have been. And he would tell me that doesn't go there. And so um, that was uh, hard for both of us, but he, the book's much better because um, it's, it's so organized. Um, yeah. And, and writing the book was, has been great. I've, I've sold copies all over the world and I like that I have, um, it makes my life easier that I've written it. One thing is people will say, how did you heal? And really, I have a 10,000 word essay on how I healed. It's the longest essay in my book because there's so many different things that have been helpful to me. And so now I can, you know, I can, I can show it to people. And if there's people listening who can't afford the book, then you can email me through my website or, and, um, and, I'll send you a free PDF copy if you really can't afford it. But if you can't afford it, I'd love 
I love when those sell and they are easily available. And I know you put the link up to the Amazon link for the book. Um, the other reason I'm glad I wrote the book that makes my life easier is what I read today about the black family being murdered. I, I don't feel like I need to tell someone that. I mean, like even today I read it, but if someone wants the details of that, they're in my book. And if you don't, if it's not important to, enough to you to know the details to read my book, then I'm certainly not going to take my time and energy telling you about it. So I have three essays in the book that are extremely triggering. That's one of them. And so I wrote down the horrendous things. And that way, if someone wants the details, that's fine. Doesn't hurt me at all. Just read my book and you can get some really bizarre and horrible details. And and maybe maybe it'll help you because you can relate to her. Maybe it'll help you just because you're curious. But I no longer will tell people things just because they're curious. Mary, is there anything I've left out or anything you'd like to say to the viewers in conclusion? Oh, just one more plug for my book. But I, I just want to say um, my I have trigger warnings. It's unique in that I have trigger warnings throughout. So each essay has a trigger warning. So you know before you read the essay how triggering it will be. And most of them have low trigger warnings. Most of them are not triggering. Um, my yoga teacher read, she's, she read all the low triggering ones. She didn't, you know, and so that that's what she felt like she could do and and she was comfortable doing it so even if you can't handle triggering things you can still read my book and you can read um almost all of it um and just just do uh i i do not recommend reading the extremely triggering essays unless there's some reason you really want to know well murray we salute you for your bravery and shining a light on these monsters because that's the only way we can learn the lessons and try and prevent this in the future. Can you tell the viewers if they can find you on the social media platforms as well? Yes, uh-huh, Facebook, and you put my link on, on there. I appreciate it. My website, you can find my films by going to my website. You can find my book by going to my website. Um, I have a YouTube channel, and all my films are on the YouTube channel. So you can go to my website, and it will bring you to my YouTube channel, or you can go directly to my YouTube channel. And so, yeah, I'm glad to connect with you. And anyone who reads my book, um, you can email me, and I will talk to you free. I will have a free one-time telephone conversation or, or Zoom conversation. What's your YouTube channel called, Mary? Uh, oh, it's just Mary Knight. You know, right now, it, I mean, if you put my name, Mary Knight, and just you know, spell it like K-N-I-G-H-T, I will come up. I'll be um, possibly the first Mary Knight to come up or maybe the second or third, but you can easily, easily find me by just putting in my name. All right. Well, huge thank you for joining us, and I hope you have a great rest of your day, Mary. Thank you so much for what you do, Sean. Thank you. Cheers. Take care. Wow. What an important, harrowing story. What a brave soul, you know, to be getting out there and talking about these things. So viewers, please go down and support Murray at her links. Check the book out. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. And, you know, we've got to do everything we can to support these survivors. Like she said, there's people out there who are pedophile enablers 
in various organizations, in government, in the church, in schools. And these people are conspiring to cover this stuff up and to enable it and to get the age of consent reduced. So we've got to battle that by constantly getting the word out there that this is prevalent and these monsters are out there. And for God's sake, you know, people have got to wise up and be aware of this because it's our children's lives that are at stake when these things happen. Like Mary said, if, it, if it's not suppressed, if, if it's not disassociated, we've seen time and time again that these young people have become adults who fall into drugs, suicide, crime, prison, and the mayhem it causes. So the whole justice system needs to be changed as well, whereby these monsters are given life sentences, I believe. Anyway, I hope you guys have been enjoying the podcast tonight. We've had an eclectic mix of guests. Huge thank you to Ash, Stephen Knight. Um, and we will see you guys again next week at 5.45 p.m. UK, Wednesday. We've got the Royal Mess going out on Friday. And we're back to regular podcasts going out on Sunday at 7 p.m. UK as well. So take care wherever you are in the world. Thank you very much for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Cheers.